my name is Becky Freeman, and I'm here today to talk with Dr. Robert McMillan, who is a researcher at Mississippi State University with the Social Science Research Center. And we're here to talk about the paper, Public Support for Raising the Age of Sale for Tobacco to 21 in the United States. And I was actually um, in Hawaii in January, and they had just launched, I believe it was a, a statewide policy or just on the Big Island? To... It initiated on the Big Island, but mm. now it's a statewide Wide yeah, and they, I think it had just come in a few days before on January 1st, and they had signs sort of all over the outlets and everything. And I was really surprised to see that the tobacco purchase aid has been raised to 21. So this is obviously um, a, perhaps a policy who time, whose time has come. Could you tell me a little bit about the background for your study and, and maybe where this idea of raising the age 21 originates from? Yes, um, Jonathan Winnikoff is one of the co-authors on this paper, and he's located in Boston and was involved in an effort in Needham, Massachusetts, which is outside of Boston, a suburb, to um, raise the age of purchase and sale of tobacco to 21. And that had happened in 2005. And they had had some local traction because the local boards of health in Massachusetts can control the age of sale of tobacco. And they had managed to get a handful of communities to raise the age to 21. And in Needham, they had actually seen a reduction in um, youth smoking rates that was did not occur in the neighboring communities that had kept their um, age of sale at 18. And that was kind of the genesis of that movement. And Robert Crane, another author on this paper, has been very involved in this. He's located in Ohio, but across the U.S. has been a big advocate for this type of policy. That's excellent. And I understand, too, the American Medical Association has actually endorsed this policy as far back as 1986. So, you know, 30 years of advocacy almost to make this happen. It, exactly. It, unfortunately, the 1986 endorsement, um, it took till 2005 until we actually had a community do this. But it was neat that the AMA was in front of this issue so early. Yeah, well, as often happens in tobacco control, that uh, you know these advocacy aren't for the the faint-hearted. You've got to stick at it for a really long time. Okay, so now tell us about what what did you do in the study? What were your methods? How did you get you know measure public support for this? Okay, we used an instrument called the Social Climate Survey of Tobacco Control. It's an annual cross-sectional survey of U.S. adults dating back to 2000, where we ask questions about the social climate in which people live and make decisions about tobacco. It includes tobacco use questions, whether they're being counseled by their physicians about tobacco, but whether their child's um, health care providers are counseling them about tobacco. But we also ask a lot of policy questions and attitudinal questions. And in 2013, we added a question about public support for raising the age of sale of tobacco to 21. Fantastic. And of course, the burning question everybody wants to know is, what did you find? We were surprised. Nobody had asked a national audience this question. We expected maybe around half of adults would support this. We found that 70.5% of adults supported this initiative. And when we carved it up by demographic groups, age, sex, race, education, region, this majority of all um, demographic groups, even um, 18 to 20 year olds supported this initiative. That's incredible, really. I can't think of another tobacco control policy that even smoke-free restaurants that has enjoyed that level of support before the legislation has actually been adopted. Exactly. Normal. That's why we were expecting lower levels. I was thinking 
got to national surveys of smoke-free before California and Utah had had done it at the state level. But instead, yeah, it, it, it was we were surprised. Uh, absolutely. I think the result that really stood out for me was demographics that typically have higher smoking rates, so lower educated black populations, were actually incredibly supportive, even more so than other populations. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? That was another intriguing and exciting finding. It's like you said, the populations most impacted either because they have high rates of disease caused by smoking or high rates of smoking were the most supportive. And we found something similar in a study we published on support for banning menthol products or menthol tobacco products is that African-Americans were more likely to support banning menthol even though most African-Americans who smoke smoke mentholated cigarettes in the United States. I think it's because the population recognizes the impact that tobacco has had on them and they are more supportive of restrictions that would protect future generations. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. I, I mean, you're you hard-pressed to find a smoker who ever says, oh, you know, I wish my child would take up smoking or I'm really <laughs> glad I took up smoking. And it's really, it's fantastic to see that that's reflected in this survey data. Now, of course, this sort of policy isn't without critics. Um, you know, you get the, you know, if I can serve in the military and vote, why can't I smoke? And you also certainly get um, critics saying, oh, this policy won't achieve anything. It's symbolic only. How do you respond to the, that sort of feedback? The first one I'm on age 21 or is, uh, if you can serve in the military, that one is kind of, it's a little bit specious because there are a lot of things that we restrict young adults from doing. In the United States, you can't rent a car until you're 25. I, I think there's an age restriction on um, gun permits that's older than 18. You can't rent a hotel room quite often until you're older than that. So there's a lot of things that we restrict. And alcohol, we restrict to 21 as well. So I, I really, I think that that's kind of a straw argument that to, to put out there. And the benefits we've seen in Needham and um, elsewhere is that you know, most teenagers get their cigarettes from people who are friends in high school. They get them from other, they get them from friends who are 18 and old enough to buy them. And most teenagers don't have 21-year-olds in their social network, especially 21-year-olds who are willing to take time out of their day to go buy them cigarettes. So we can really interrupt that progression from ex experimentation and um, addiction if we make it harder for teenagers to obtain cigarettes because they make it harder to get them from social sources. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in tobacco control, you know, everyone I know who works in this area has never said there's a magic bullet policy. It's about the comprehensive approach that we take. And this would just be yet another policy that would contribute to uh, reducing smoking rates. And one that's relatively easy and cheaply to, to actually uh, um, implement as well. All right. Well, are there any concluding comments or anything you didn't get to say that you would like to make sure you got into the podcast? I'll say one more thing. And it's a little bit of a tricky concept, but it's interesting. Um, so the only group that did not support this was the subset of 18 to 20-year-olds who were current smokers. We had 14 smokers in our sample who were 18 to 20-year-olds. Granted, it's a very small end. Only one of them supported raising the age of sale of tobacco. And that makes sense. They're using a product that we would that the policy would prohibit them from purchasing. That wasn't terribly surprising. But what was interesting, we also asked smokers what year they initiated smoking. And smokers who initiated um, between the 18 years of 18 and 20 were the most supportive among smokers of raising the age. It's almost as if they wish that the policy had been in place when they were born, when they were 18 to 20 year old. 
That's so interesting. So they would see like, oh, the, the younger me would have been impacted by this and maybe I would have saved myself this lifelong addiction I'm now suffering from. That's so interesting. Well, thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you.